we've been talking about people of influence. And so I'm, I'm not, we're not going to choose a person of influence this morning. We're just going to wrap up the series with what I believe is probably a very simple scripture. We're just going to look at one, one verse today. I mean, like it when I've been tackling whole books and things like that. So just one verse today. And I want to encourage you, um, as simple as it is, there's so much life in his word. I just, I love that we can't get away from his life, that his life is in his word. And so um, I just want to do a quick recap of some of the folks that we've talked about. Moses, the first one that we looked at. Moses wasn't the guy that thought that he would have influence, right? Moses was a guy that he, he didn't want any part of it. He didn't, want, he didn't feel that he could speak. He didn't want his mumble to be broadcast to the world. And we looked at just the idea that the first killer of influence or of people exerting their influence is the fact that some folks would even doubt that they even have influence in the first place. But we saw that Moses turned into a, a mighty leader, and he did some mighty exploits. We cannot, understand, we cannot underestimate the power of influence that we carry as we carry the Holy Spirit inside of us. So important. We then, the next week, we looked at the people of Israel in the desert. And we, the, the, the idea was influence in the desert. Do we have influence in the desert seasons? And Carrie kind of unpacked more of that when we're talking about in our wilderness. But in the desert, the specific thing that we looked at is that there's always something to pass on in your wilderness. There's always something to pass on even in your desert. And we looked at this, this generational transfer that happened, that it wasn't the end of the road for the Israelites, but in fact, it was such a powerful moment for even though Moses and, the, and his whole generation wasn't going to step into what their idea of the promised land was, they still, the battles that they fought, the, the lessons that they imparted were directly correlated to the, the next generation, their kids stepping into all that God had for them. We looked at Daniel. He's a mighty man. He's somebody that you think, man, that's, that's a guy with influence. He had faith for the impossible. We talked about what is having faith for the impossible and praying, changing our prayer lives. And I was so encouraged to hear testimonies of different people saying, Jesse, you know, my prayer list has gotten longer after that sermon because I've now added the impossible to my list of things that we're praying for. Regardless of what we can see with our eyes, we want to connect to a God that has faith for the impossible. Faith to shut the, lion, the, the lion's mouths even when we're sitting right there staring at him. We looked at Gideon. And the idea that it is only in God alone. And it would have had to be in God alone because Gideon was the least of the least of the least per his own admission. And God moved mightily, mightily through him and overthrew an army. I don't know how much bigger than it, but they eventually whittled it down to 300 guys. And we looked at the idea that God chooses to partner with us. He could have done it without Gideon. He could have gone and, and wiped them out without him, but he chooses to partner with us. What is our role in that is we want to make a sound and we want to shine a light. We talk to, to what is the sound that our lives are making? What is the light that we're shining? I think too often in the church and in, in Christian world in general, Christians, if you look in the States right now and you see the, the political turmoil and how Christians are on both sides of almost every camp that there is over there. And they're, they're so, there's so many issues that can divide we need to be shining our light. We need to be making a sound for his kingdom. 
So I hope that you've been encouraged throughout the different pieces of people of influence. But this morning, I want to go to my verse, and I'll get there in a moment. But I just I haven't had a story for a while, and it's not even really a story. But who has been to university or taken some university-level classes? Some univer- can, can I just get, what, what are some of the, the most random classes that you've taken in university, or the most memorable, if you will? Or, or do we just have, like, well, I took accounting or, like, kind of the boring ones. Like, is there any, like, real, you know, there was a, there was a I did a double major, psychology and religious studies. I didn't take it, but Angie did. She took a class called Rap, Culture, and God. That's, that's what it was called, Rap, Culture, and God. At, at university, it's a secular university. What are, what are the class? what have you taken? Anything? Spanish? Spanish? Oh, arriba. Roy, did you take an interesting one? Islam. I took, I took some classes on Islam as well, Buddhism. Bruce. I remember the, the, probably the strangest class that I took was a class, and you wouldn't think it would be strange, was called Psychology of Death and Loss. And so it was exploring the whole idea of, of when, folks, when folks die and how do you process that and emotions and all sorts. But the topic was so serious. But the teacher, the first 30 minutes of every class, and I think it was a night class, and so we went in at night, and the first 30 minutes, she wanted us to... to I think her words were meditate, but we could close our eyes. We could just kind of sit there for a while and sit in the room. I love that class. I got to go in, and, and it took up a large portion of the actual time that we sat. And, each, and we didn't actually have any tests in the class. I don't know how she managed to still have her, um, you know, be accredited. Um, but we would just have people come in and share their stories, and some of them were so traumatic. And she turned it into like a counseling session. And so half of the class would be crying through the majority of the class because we would her, we, her, we would her. I'm going back to rap culture and God. We would, we would hear these, these deep stories of people being broken and things. And, um, but, but I always remember starting off the class with 30 minutes of just silence. Can you imagine like we just start church and we're just going just gonna to sit and like, man, it's lovely. You just, some people fell asleep. You know, it's just like one of those environments. So this class is not a good example of what I wanted to talk about. And that's why I just want to illustrate it. Do we know what a syllabus is? Do we get syllabus, syllabi? Is that the plural for syllabus? I'd look at Aaron. He'd probably know. Syllabi? Yep. Most classes in university have a syllabus. This lady didn't follow her syllabus. So that's why she's not a good example of it. But it was very memorable. But what, is, what does a syllabus contain? A syllabus has almost everything you would need to know, right? It has, it has like your readings that you need to do throughout the class. It has all of, all of the books that you need to read. It, has, um, it outlines when you're going to have tests. It outlines, Tammy's just finished law degree, right? So I'm, oh, thank the Lord I only have a bachelor's. You know, I just, that, that kind of syllabus is too much. It has every, little pop quizzes. A syllabus contains everything that you need to know to pass the class. But do I have a witness, anybody other than me, that when some of those tests would pop up, my indignancy would rise and my unpreparedness would show itself for what it was. And when there would be pop quiz, 
I'd be grilling the professor saying, what in the world do you think you're doing with this pop quiz? Or, and, and not just me, but how many of us, uh, now, I, there's some people around here that are administrators, and I know that if you were to get a syllabus, you would go through it, and it would be in your calendar, and it would pop up when you know you need to do the different things. I just was not one of those people. And having gone to university, I can probably attest that 95% of university students are not overly um, um, as worried about a syllabus as they should be, possibly. How interesting is it that that's the case? It is easy to become mystified by the things of God, but God has given us a very clear syllabus in his word. We sometimes come across tests, or we sometimes come across things, and we're saying, where in the world did this come from? And I just want to encourage you this morning, as we go to his word, his word is such a clear syllabus. He's not making it difficult for us to understand who he is. This morning, as we go into the world, can we, the word, can we take hold of it? I, I, I love this verse, and I preach it often, but... Just an encouragement of the word. His word piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word goes so deep. It is so poignant. It is so clear. If we read his word as something nice, and not something necessary, we will eventually become very mystified, confused, and angry because we will have results that don't line up with our expectations. Just as, just as those university students are like, I can't believe this professor with this quiz today, and had been there all along. It had been so clear what, he, what readings you needed to do. It's been so clear what you have to do. And so the verse that I'm about to share with you is probably one that you've heard before. But the result of this verse, of what this verse is leading to, is something that I think we would all have such a burning heart to see. The verse is this. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. And I, I don't want to go into it too much now, but I just, I have to go to the end result first as we unpack what the verse says. How many of us would love to see a healed land? And what, I can just explain, what does that look like? I mean, that looks like so many different things. That looks like healed families. That looks like healed schools. That looks like healed workplaces. I think sometimes we jump really big. We say, God, heal our land, and then our family is just in ruins. I think it begins there as well. Heal our land. And there's, there's some deep ramifications, and I'm not going to unpack all of that this morning. But if, if that's something that we desperately want to see, we want to see Jesus' healing throughout this land, we want to lean in to saying, so if the, if the end is this, and I will heal their land. And we want to lean into saying, what is this? And it's, I think sometimes when we have the result of a land that is not healed, we can become mystified, we can be confused, and we can become angry or whatever the case might be. But I want to submit to you that his word is a syllabus. His word is clear. 
His word is so life-giving, so encouraging, so empowering. And that's why I, don't think it's, I think it's important that we don't just pass over the words, but we check to see. We let them do what the word is intended to go into the deepest marrow through to our heart and start shifting and shaping and positioning ourselves so that we as a church can partner with others in this land to see it healed. Amen? It's the heart of a people of influence is to see people impacted with the love and life of Jesus. I think sometimes it's too easy to overcomplicate things. We want, to see, we want to see people meeting Jesus and Jesus meeting people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will heal their land. I, uh, I'm going to do a little bit like a la John Piper styles today where he goes and looks at every little comma and like period to say this period means that it's final, that God has done. No, I'm not going to go that deep into it. But if, it starts off with if. What does if mean? It means it, there's, there's a conditional clause going to follow it. It means that there's some conditions. So this, this scripture starts off with an if. If it starts off with an if, we want to look at what was the end result. It was a healed land. I want to really lean into these things that he's saying, if I'll do them. I want to look at these conditions because it's going to be really important. The first thing that he says, if my people... God is owning us, right? He says, you are my people. He's first helping us get a sense of identity. We are not our own. We are his. We belong to God, which are called by my name. I love that. And there's so many. I'm not going to try and preach a ton of different sermons around each little thing, but, but I called by my name. We are given the name of Jesus. When you step into a place, you're not stepping in with your name. It's not just Cain stepping into there. It's not just Jeanette stepping into there. It's not just Hadley stepping into there. You're stepping in with the name of Jesus. My people which are called by my name. That's huge. There's power in the name of Jesus. There is power when we step into a place because we are carrying something other than ourselves. Jesus is just, he's encouraging us right now. If my people, we're his, are called by my name, we walk in with his name. We don't have to assert who we are, defend who we are. We are safe in the Father. Our identity is wrapped up in him, maker of heaven and earth. This is who we are, but there is still an if attached to this. I think that's important. Including, there are some results that will not come to fruition for us if even us as people of God who have identity in him do not do the conditional clause. Jesus is saying, if my people who are called by my name, I just want us to rest secure that we are called by his name, that he has called you each by name, that he's formed you far before the foundations of time to say, I want this person to be so unique and special. That's not being removed with these ifs. That's not, not what's in question. What's in question is the result from our lives and what we can see happen, particularly seeing this land healed in this, in this specific verse. So let's look at what are these ifs. There's four of them. The first is this, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, shall humble themselves. Humble, I think you all know, but let me just read some definitions from, from good old Merriam-Webster. Not proud or haughty, not arrogant or assertive, reflecting, expressing, or offered 
in a spirit of submission. This was really powerfully challenging. It's before you do anything. This is the first clause. Before you do absolutely anything, it doesn't matter if you've come with the best intentions. It doesn't matter if you've come with the worst intentions. God says, after claiming you for his own, remember, you're safe in his arms. He says to humble yourselves. To see this work in our lives, to see his land healed, we need to first humble ourselves. And I'll just repeat, to offer ourselves to God in a spirit of submission. The first step will always be to surrender. The first step is always surrender. I think too many times our first step is to assert. But what, what, we just read the definition of humble. What does it say? It says not assertive. Our first step is to surrender. That's one of the reasons I mentioned it in our prayer time. But in the word worship, it literally means to prostrate yourself before the Lord. I think sometimes we think, yep, it's about singing. There's definitely a huge piece of singing. I was reading through Psalms. If you want just some encouragement on worship, read through Psalms 145 through 150. It's powerful. It is so easy for us to skip this part of the syllabus. I think everybody understands the concept of humility. They're like, man, that's so good. I love humble people. I want to interact with humble people. Like, that's, that's really powerful. It's so easy to understand the concept. It's so, it's so easy to agree with it. But this isn't just a great thing. This is a life-giving command from God to help you see amazing things in him. And I want to again submit to you that this is not a complicated step. It's not that it necessarily is complicated, but it might not be easy. We must submit ourselves, our spirits, completely over to him and repeat. We don't wash our clothes once and say they're clean, but we keep washing them each time they get dirty. They go in the rinse cycle, they go around again and again and again. This is like humbling ourselves, that when you submit to God and you humble yourself before him, this is the point, and listen, where he can begin to shape you and mold you and bring perspective into your life. This is the critical point of entry into your life. God can only influence that in your life that is surrendered. He can only begin to influence that piece of your life that has been surrendered to him. And here's... We can never assume we have arrived in God. We can't assume, I'm already super surrendered to you, God. I totally took care of that. This is not a one-time event. This is saying, God, every day I'm submitting myself to you. And, and I just want to read this because I just want you to reflect to yourself. I mean, it's too easy to be like, Angie, are you listening? You know, submission, it's really important. No, no, no. Reflecting, expressing, or offering in a spirit of submission. Can you just reflect to yourself that when you approach God, is that what it looks like to you? I, I've been putting, putting that lens. So when you approach him in worship, when you approach him in prayer, when you approach him in other people, because if the Holy Spirit is inside all of us, when we approach one another, we're approaching 
you know, if I carry his name, that means you carry his name. So when you're approaching me, you're actually approaching Jesus. And I'm approaching Jesus in you. That's how we want to be with one another as we approach one another. That's where honor comes from. Surrender. Do you know a spirit of submission looks like something? Have you seen like dogs that, paid, that, that, that like behave and those that don't? Like me and my brother created the worst dogs. Like they just didn't listen to anything. But have you seen like a, a rebellious child that isn't, you, rebellion looks like something and submission looks like something. It looks like something. And I think intellectually, and this is one of the biggest things I think of the word, that if we just let it become knowledge and not practice, we miss out on all the benefits. The first clause, if, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves. Don't just pass over that because we intellectually understand it, but is that what your posture looks like when you come and worship before him? And only you can know that. That's not something that somebody else can say, well, this is what I think. We can all give our opinion on it. But, but are you submitting yourself before him? Because this is the entry point of where he's able to begin shaping you. When we come before him and we already have our, we've already made up our mind about a lot of different things, like, that Jeanette's never listening to me, so whoop. God, can you correct her? I'm waiting for you to correct her. Angie's just keeps cooking spaghetti, and I don't want spaghetti anymore. God, fix this. Whatever it is, I love the scriptures because it cuts to the core. Are you bringing a spirit of submission to God so that, that at the point when he's speaking to you, do you have ears to hear what he's saying? Humble yourselves. The first part of the F. The second part of the F. If my people are called by my name, we'll pray. We'll pray. Prayer means a whole lot of things, and we can do studies on the Greek and the Hebrew and the different levels of prayer and the different levels of worship. But a very simple definition of the word prayer is, as I already mentioned it this morning, is to intervene. Prayer is to intervene. And my spirit started to get really excited just at this, at, at this spot to almost pause and here, if I can communicate my heart of what I was getting excited about. When we pray, we are intervening into a situation and redirecting its course. And hear this. Prayer is not a moment where we go to get confidence from God. But it is the moment where we go to change the situation. Hear this. This is so important. To intervene in the situation. We need to understand that what happens when we pray, this is the access point for releasing God into a situation. This is the invitation for him to join the party. Not only does he join us, but he then leads us to access his power to intervene in that situation. There is power in prayer. There is power in prayer. God is looking for access points to reach people and the most direct ways to go through him. I think we often try and reach people without him. And I want to encourage you that the best way to reach people is going to be directly through the man who created them and who is life itself. When we declare, uh, here, sorry, I'm going to go there in a second. Prayer, and, and this, is, this is the heart. If we would catch this, my goodness, I think it would just revolutionize our prayer lives. I think oftentimes we think of prayer as, as the, like when you call the doctor and you're setting up an appointment. You're like, yo, Jesus, Jesse, yep, 22 Lane Street currently, yep. Um, 
can, can you please intervene in this situation at some point in the future? Can you, can you set this up? Can you, can, you, can you go do that? I want to submit to you that when you go to prayer, that is the appointment. Do you see the shift? We would be a people that would step into prayer with a whole new mindset if we recognize that that's where God does his business. It is prayer. There is something about when you've submitted yourself, when you come to him in a submission, when you come, Jesus, it's not my way, it's your way. Father, I'm completely here. My walls are all down. And then you enter into prayer and you begin to do the appointment, not just set up an appointment in the future. Not, God, I hope you're going to do this. But when you recognize, when you come before the face of Jesus, that that's where he does his business. That's where he's changing. Our battles are not of flesh and blood, but they're against principalities, against what does that mean? That means it's not in the physical where it's going to happen, but you need to handle business in the spiritual. And that's not for another time. That's here. God wants to do it before you. We have a God where the veil was torn so we can go directly before his face so we can handle business with him. And it's not just handling business for a future date. Prayer is the appointment. Prayer is powerful. When we declare amen, and I know you all know the definition of amen, it doesn't mean, God, please just do it. It doesn't mean I hope it will be there one day or thanks God you've given me my boost so I can go handle my business now. No, business was already handled in prayer. And amen means it is so. It is done. It is so important to recognize. We treat prayer as like this prerequisite that we kind of have to do. I want to submit to you it is the thing you need to do. We often see the conflict that we might be having with someone or the, the, the work situation that we have or our family member that just doesn't get it. And we pray, and we pray empty prayers because we're not actually expecting that God can handle his business in the prayer room. Can I submit to you that prayer is the appointment? Prayer is powerful. God is powerful. And prayer is the vehicle with which we can talk directly with him. It was by his word that he created the world, and it is when we come into agreement with him in prayer that he releases his word over us and others. Prayer releases the spirit of God to minister to you and releases the spirit of God to minister to the situation. You first humble yourself, and then you pray. Number three, if my people who are called by my name will seek my face. If my people who are called by my name will seek my face. Again, just a quick backup. We all want to see a healed land. We want to see people thriving in the life and love of Jesus. And it's only Jesus that can do it. We, 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 we can't get any mistakes. No matter how amazing you are, no matter how fantastic you are, you can't save anything. You can't save anyone. It is the name of Jesus. It is what he did on the cross. It is who he is that saves. It is not us. Seeking his face. If my people who are called by my name will seek my face. God is the final destination. When we make anything else that final destination, we have missed it. Not only is God the final destination for you, but can I encourage you that he's the final destination for the person sitting next to you? You can say, I found him. I just want to, I just want to go and whatever it might be. But we cannot rest. We cannot ease up in our prayer time, in our seeking his face, because there's still so many people that don't know who he is. 
We have to let that start to percolate and become such a burden on our spirits. If you're doing wonderfully in the Lord, praise God. Now go out and let's see how do we bring someone else to know him. And that doesn't just look like sitting on a street corner and shouting obscenities at people. He's created us all so uniquely to share his gospel in a very unique way. But it still looks like something. It still looks like something. Seek my face. We have the unique job of loving on others so that we can point back to Jesus as the source of that love. If we are not pointing back to Jesus, we have missed it. The end goal is Jesus. Jesus Christo. It is, he is the end destination. I think sometimes, that's why in worship this morning, I thought it's such a beautiful moment to just pause and recognize we don't need to move on because he's enough. Just right there, just worshiping before him is enough. We don't need anything more. We don't need another house. We don't need that job promotion. We don't need another child. We don't need another child. And if anybody has any great girl names, please submit them through. Me and Angie are just not agreeing on on names. Pray for her. We've talked about how prayer is... Prayer is the point where God does it. If we collectively pray, this is, gonna, this is powerful. If my people who are called by my name will seek my face, this begins by us, us first being captured by seeking the face of Jesus ourselves. Hear this. this is, we can't pass over this. This begins with us being first enamored, captured, completely And utterly, if we want to go back to submitted, to being in the game of seeking his face for ourselves. You know that knowing someone's face is to really know them. If you know where the gray hairs are, my gray hairs are coming on quicker. Angie's catching up a little bit. Just a little bit. I'm way ahead, though. I'm going to be a silver fox soon. Seek my face. To know someone's face is to know them, is to love them. Our mission is to seek his face and help others to seek his face. It's not just to be nice to people. Do you hear me on that? Our mission is to seek his face and to help others seek his face. There's no bypassing that. If it's not Jesus, I don't know what it is. It has to be Jesus. Do you know what's really hard? to take someone where you yourself have never been? Do you know it's really hard to describe food that you've never tasted? Do you know it's really hard to describe someone that you've not spent a lot of time with? We have to first ourselves be captured by the man Jesus, be be enamored, loving, spend every resource that we have to be in his presence. Who likes hide and seek? Joel, my man, me and Joel are going to have a mean game afterwards. Hide and seek. One of my boys and I favorite games. It's always when you move into a, a, a new house, you always get an opportunity to find new hiding spots. And I always try and find kind of the funny ones, but I have to be careful because my boys will always copy me and they'll like hide in places they really shouldn't hide. And so I have to be careful. But like trying to play hide and seek with Bennett is the worst because Archer, he counts to 20 and it's a legit 20. He counts it at an even pace, and it's all good, and, like, you have a fair chance to hide. Bennett counts to 20. He's like, 1, 3, 20, and he chases you. So if, when it's his turn, and we always take turns, like, we're really, you know, it's each person's turn. Me and Archer know 
as, it's like I'll almost push him, over, Bennett, over. I mean, it sounds like I'm a horrible person, but I will, like, push him over and throw a blanket over Bennett just to give us some extra time to go and hide. And we'll book it to the other side of the room. And, and ben, I don't know how he does it, but Ben is just like, you know, when you ask Bennett to pick something up, he's as slow as he possibly could be, but he comes like a rocket after us for hide and seek. But if you have played hide and seek maybe one time in the past, you know what it's like to seek someone. What does seeking someone look like? There is a process of looking, listening. Like for me, the best way to find my boys is like, you know, you hear their, their, their laughter and you hear. So I stop and listen. And it was funny. I walked into the bathroom and I saw like the mirror in the bathroom like moving. And I was like, so they were in the closet on the, in the other room, like knocking the bathroom. And I thought they were in there. But listening, you're looking, you're, you're moving into different rooms. You're going into different locations and sometimes calling out because we have this, if we can't find each other, we'll make silly noises and try and disguise our voice and woo, caw-caw, you know, like where are we? But this process of hide and seek, of seeking someone, is going into different locations, is pausing, is listening, is really looking. We don't just kind of walk through the room and leave. We go through every room. We leave no stone unturned. We look under every blanket. Under, we go into every closet. We stop and we listen. We call out to one another. Where are you? And you know, if, if, if they're good at hiding, I don't respond. He's going to have to really find me. But for Bennett, we'll, we'll help him out sometimes. What does this look like? And, it, and here's, I just want to encourage you, exploring different options until the end Do you know when you seek him, the whole thing with hide and seek is the game has to, you have to find someone. There's no question if you found someone at the end. Usually in our house, when you find someone at the end of hide and seek, there's a lot of yelling and excitement and tickling and kissing on cheeks and then knocking Bennett over and running to go hide again. But there's a very definite thing that happens when you find someone. It's very clear when you've found someone. It's very clear when you're in their arms. It's very clear when you're being loved on. It's very clear when you've found Jesus. Seek his face. So it is with God that when we seek him, it looks like seeking him. It looks like pursuing him. It looks like waiting on him. It looks like calling out to him. It looks like finding him. This is not like a well-wishing, nice idea. Remember, let's go back to if, conditional clauses to see people, to see a land healed. There are things that we need to do, and I'm going to come to the point that it's not like these things are complicated. They're in the syllabus. They're, la- they're, they're lined out so perfectly clear. But I think sometimes we're just too clever for our own good. We understand the principle of seeking his face is like, oh, that's good religious language. I want to seek him on a Sunday morning, and that just means that I'm going to worship him and sing the songs. It absolutely means that, but are you finding him when you sing those songs? Are you having revelation of who he is when you sing those songs? Are you praying and and seeing him intervening in situations? I've had the pleasure of praying for two people very recently with some very significant things. And immediately afterwards, they said, Jesse, it's gone. Jesse, I, man, 
That's, that's what it's all about, is seeing God intervene, not waiting for something in the future to happen. When we worship him, are you finding him? Are you, are you seeking him? Are you going into every room that you possibly can to find him, to see his face? It is in his face, in his presence, that we learn his heart, we learn his ways. He heals our hearts. He removes our pain. He takes off our burdens. Maybe most of us can see, we have heard that it is good to seek his face. It is not just good, it is essential. Number four. This one's like the heavy one, and Angie was like, ooh, this one says wicked ways. Number four. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. I think... This one is almost a product of the other three. If you're humbling yourself, if you're seeking his face, if you're praying, I feel like, God, it'd be really hard to stay stuck in some of the things that maybe we're, we're stuck in at times. But I still think there's a very important distinction here. There needs to be a recognition, recognition that our way just doesn't cut it. Our way doesn't cut it. There has to be a turning from our way. You know, and I, the, the word here, the Hebrew word is actually adversity. When I looked at, so the, the, the word wicked, it says turn from your wicked ways. The word is actually adversity. What is it saying? Turn from those difficult, pain in the butt ways. I think too often we get wrapped up in like God is so worried about this moral compass that he's saying this is bad and this is good and these people are good and these people are bad and in a goody two-shoes kind of way. Can I submit to you? When in fact, there are some things that bring life and there are some things that bring death. His way is life. We need to turn from all other ways, including our own, to his. Repentance is not going in on condemning yourself for having done something really bad. True repentance is turning away from what you've been doing. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is not just in your strength, but that is with you humbling yourself, praying and seeking his face, that he will give you the strength and the strategy and the people to help you to not continue in where you're at. Just like the others, this is so important to stay current with God. Staying current with him allows him to continue to helping you grow into all he has for you. And I just have to reiterate it again. So many of us think that we're already Christian enough. Can I tell you, this is not a one-time process where you've all of a sudden crossed into this like super Saiyan version of, and super Saiyan just means a really high level. Um, You get blonde hair as part of it, but that doesn't mean anything. Can I encourage you, honestly, The church at large thinks that they're okay. They're so comfortable with where they're at. It's always someone else's problem. Can I encourage you? This says, turn from your wicked ways. Turn from the things that are causing adversity. Turn to his way. If, conditional clause to see this, the land healed. We can all very easily point to someone else who hasn't gotten it or doesn't see it. But scripture is so clear. Turn away from what you've been doing that is not of God. Then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. The heart of God is so beautiful. The more that we seek his face, the more that we capture his heart. 
The more that we seek his face, the more we can lay our defenses down. The more we can rest in who he is. It's not just like these are great things to do, but as we submit ourselves to him, as we pray with him, as we seek his face, as we turn from those things that are detrimental, that are death, there's something that happens where he can truly start to minister to us and we lose those external things. His promises for us, his purposes for us are so beautiful. And it's not just us, but with anyone. If this is not a just, oh man, we want to step into it. It's with anyone that would lay down their life and accept Jesus. And, and like I said before, I don't think there's going to be too many people that are opposing a healed land. But if you look around at Las Vegas, at Puerto Rico, the Middle East, we are in desperate need. There's always perspective to be gained. We want to see a land that is healed. Our land is in need of heaven's healing. I just, I'm going to, poor Angie, she gets called out. One of the things that Angie shared as we were talking about this scripture was, was this premise. Do you, do, you all, do you know the song, You Said? You said, ask and you will receive whatever you need. Okay, it's a great song. Darlene Check. It's like old school, like early 90s. It's good. This verse is in there. You said, pray and I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal your land. So this is, this is one of the verses that has percolated in us for a long time as far as just in our spirits. You know how God just brings things up at different times. But it's so simple. This isn't like, this isn't like jumping through hoops. What does he say? If, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. There is power in the word of God. There is power to come directly into our hearts and to start shifting things. We can be at peace. We can rest in who he is. I want to I see him heal the land. But let's listen to the word. Let's not create our own syllabus. He's already created it. We don't have to be mystified when things aren't going well. If things aren't going well, what should we do? We should humble ourselves. We should pray. We should seek his face. We should turn from the things that are not glorifying him. And he will hear from heaven, and he will heal our land. It is very clear what he's asking us to do. If we want to step into all that God has for us as a people of influence, a people that get to see a land be healed, we have his word in front of us. We've been given the syllabus and we already know how the class ends. We've been given the book of life and we have access to Jesus, the source of life. Let's take up the word and apply it. For every day there's a test. Every day there's a test. Let us say that we... Lane Park Church are going to be one part of his church taking up his word and not just understanding his word and knowing his word, but we believe his word and we do his word. Can you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that your word is not complicated. I thank you that it says so clearly what we need to do. But Father, would you would, would you give us the grace to hear the word this morning? So, Father, even now, 
we want to submit ourselves again. Lord, recognizing that we haven't already got there. But we're submitting ourselves again, and we want to do it again tomorrow and the following day. Lord, as we pray, I speak a release of your word in this situation, a release of every family represented here, every workplace represented here, the city of Upper Hutt and Greater Wellington, that we declare your spirit is going to sweep through this place. Lord, we release a sound as we pray. We don't just hope that it's going to happen, but we recognize when we come together with you that things happen, Jesus. Lord, and let us not stop seeking your face as the primary goal. Lord, you are, you are beyond compare. You are beyond measure. There is nothing more important than you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for making me. I thank you for making my brothers and sisters. I thank you that we can have relationship. But Jesus, let us not forget and stop seeking who you are. Lord, and I pray that you would reveal to us where we need to turn, what we need to turn away from and turn to. And Jesus, it's a very simple turning to. We just want to keep turning towards your face. We can't, we can't be outside of your will when we're so enraptured with who you are. Lord, I thank you so much, Father. And we declare the promise in this scripture that you will hear from heaven and that you will heal our land. Lord, as a people of influence, we just want to be a people that are walking in the power that you've already given us. Lord, I pray that this week would be a new week of stepping into more of what you have for each person here. Lord, we submit ourselves to you first and foremost in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.